How many of you recognize God's doing something in our church? Amen. There's been a shift. We, it's, I don't know if it's been, what, six weeks ago or so, we started this pre-service prayer, and it really has changed just the atmosphere of our worship service. Um, and, and God's doing a great thing. Amen. God's growing our church. God's building our church. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I, I'm thankful for... Uh, Rachel and I were gone last Sunday, and I'm thrilled to be home. I love it here. Um, I didn't. I miss you guys. I, I do enjoy getting to share the word in churches and go out and minister, but I, I missed being here. I love you guys. I'm grateful for our team um, that just did a phenomenal job ministry last week. I'm thankful for Sean Alexander, uh, his ministry of the word. I've heard all kinds of reports, uh, people being encouraged uh, by, by that message, and just appreciate. I, I haven't even, I've been so busy this week, I haven't had a chance. By the way, Rachel's out of town, so I'm, I'm Mr. Mom, and all that kind of stuff this week. It's been a busy week, but um, haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the message, but I heard it was a great word. Also thankful for, for Pastor Bill, Bill, who stood here two weeks ago and, and ministered the word of God. Tremendous. I, I was here for that Sunday. Just a, a, a powerful word from the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful for what God's doing in our church. I really am. I really am. Uh, Rachel and Noah, uh, my oldest son, they're, they're, my wife, if you don't know Rachel, uh, she's, she and Noah are in Wales. They left on Monday. Amen. Yeah, so they're with, with mom and dad. And uh, so I've got the three of our younger kids at home, and I'm taking care of them. They're, or they're taking care of me or something like that. And we're making it. None of them have died yet. One of them did get sick, but none of them died yet. So, <laughs> But um, God is good, isn't he? God is good. Um. I'll just let you know right now, today is going to be a different day, and uh, we're not putting any kind of a time frame on today's service. If you have to leave, uh, you got to get to work, whatever, do that, but I'm going to tell you, you don't want to leave today. You don't want to leave. Um, I, I, I believe we're in um, an amazing season right now. I, I think this has been going on, this has been building, but we're really seeing a great manifestation of the presence of God in our, in our country, uh, amongst young people. There's a stirring. My, my social media feed this entire week has just been filled up with, with Asbury, with Lee University, all these uh, Cedarville uh, University, these young people that are seeking the face of God. And it, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, we, we have some guests with us today. I'm going to have them just come and share some things with, with us in just a minute. Uh, I'm not going to preach today, but I, I want to just be here as a pastor today and, and admonish us, uh, just give some instruction, some some. I think we really need to um, be aware of where we are and what God's doing. There, there, there's, there's a significant, we're at a very significant time. I believe this with everything that's on the inside of me. We're at a very significant time. And I, I just want to take a few minutes. I don't want to take a long, long time. But I, I want to just kind of speak it a little bit about where we are and what we as the people of God need to be about. What, what do we need to be up to? Where, where do we need to focus? What's going on? Back in uh, 2017, uh, we were at a church, serving at a church in Kentucky. We had radio stations there at the church. Um, they were in Kentucky and southern Indiana. And uh, I was on the, the, the radio every day and um, 
part of part of what we did, we 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 had all, all kinds of it was it was a Christian programming, all, all kinds of things. We had a three-hour program, and different things that transpired throughout that program. But one one of the things we did, we interviewed someone every day. We had a guest on our program. And one morning we had a gentleman by the name of Lee Watts. Anybody ever heard of Lee Watts? Lee Watts is the chaplain. Was I don't think he is anymore, but he was the chaplain at the Kentucky State House. And um, I, I appreciate Lee. He he made a great stand on the word. Um, he 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 stood for years in the Kentucky State House, and he called the leaders, the legislators in Kentucky, uh, government officials, to repent and to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He stood with boldness, calling those men to men and women to to repentance and to obedience of the word of God. Just a, a great man of God, and I appreciate him and admire him. We had an opportunity to interview Lee Watts on the radio program, and while, while he was in, on the, the program with us, he made this statement. It impacted me. The, the Bible talks about warring. It was Paul telling Timothy, he says, war according to the prophecies. When, when you hear God speak, write it down, and then we need to live our lives. We need to war according to what God has spoken. Right? And we need to be careful and make sure that it always lines up with God's word. Right? When God speaks, when there's a prophetic word, it will never contradict scripture. We need to understand that. When, when God speaks, when you hear the prophetic, write it down. Write it down. Don't forget it. I forgot who it was, but I was with somebody this week that said they had a dream. And it, they, it, was, it was a God dream. I sensed that. He sensed that, that it was God, a God-given dream. And I said, write that down. Write the details of that down. You want to remember that. Write it down and war accordingly. So I, I, when, when uh, Lee Watts made this statement, it, it, it uh, impacted me so deeply that I made note of this. And here's what Lee said. This was back in 2017. He said, Kentucky is a bellwether state. What happens in Kentucky happens in America. If America is a body, then Kentucky is its heart. That wasn't just some statement that he pulled out of air. He had been talking about the history of Kentucky and the moves of God in the United States of America. The major moves of God in America have started in Kentucky. Great Awakenings. You go back to the Cane Ridge. How many of you have heard of the Cane Ridge Revivals? I think it was early 1800s. The, the Cane Ridge Revival was a catalyst for the Great Awakening in America. Right? How many of you know that this is not the first time that what we're seeing at Asbury has happened? It happened back in 1995. It also happened back, back in 1970 and, and going forth from Asbury. Though, the, I actually uh, listened to uh, the, the president of Asbury University back in the 1970s. Uh, gentleman, I, I forget his name here. So it's Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. He was the president of Asbury from 1968 to 81 and 1986 to 1991. And he talked about how God... Used. That, that revival lasted for just, just over a week, and God then began to send those students all over the world to Canada, to Mexico, to Africa, and all across the United States. And that, that was really a, a, a key player. That, how many of you are familiar with the Jesus People Movement? There's actually a, movement, a movie out today, and I don't think it's coincidental. It's called Jesus Revolution, about what happened through that Jesus People Movement. It was hippies coming to follow Jesus. Uh, and this, this man, Chuck, Chuck Smith, that uh, went against the grain in the church and began to uh, open his church up for these hippies to come in and, and find Jesus. But Asbury was very instrumental during that, 
that uh, Jesus people movement as we, we now know it. And uh, in fact, th- this church used to be Morton Memorial Church. Um, just uh, a little side note, a uh, friend of mine, Alan Claypool, and some of you have met Alan, but uh, Alan Claypool had a lake house down there in Kentucky, and we would go over there often. We went to a, a holiday party at his house, and his neighbor came over, a man named Al Amstead, came over, and Al was a retired Methodist minister, and he was the pastor here at Morton Memorial for over a decade. I didn't know this until I, when I moved up here, I got a call a month after I moved up here, and, and Alan asked me, he said, where are you at? And I explained, I'm, I'm at Return Church, it's on Eastern Boulevard, off 65, and he goes, I think that's Al's church. And he called Al and found it. Indeed, Al Amstead had pastored this church. Al was at Asbury and impacted by that 1970 Asbury revival. What, and Asbury has a, a, a great history in revival. Actually, Asbury, when I was in Bible college, late 90s, and I graduated in 2001, in our textbook uh, about North, Amer- North American revival movements, Asbury was highlighted as one of the great revivals in American history back in 1970. So that, that's just a, little bit, uh, just a little bit of context. But going, going back to what, to what Lee said, he, he talked about how Kentucky had been so instrumental in all of the moves of God in the United States of America. I mark that because I, 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 I said, you know what, I'm going to begin to look for that. It's going to happen. Here's, and here's what he said. After he made that statement that Kentucky is a bellwether state, what happens in Kentucky happens in America. If America it were a body, Kentucky would be its heart. After he made that statement, this is what he said. He said, there's a coming revival that's going to start here in Kentucky on the campuses of Christian universities. And it's going to spread to other Christian universities. Then it's going to begin to spread to secular universities. And it's going to be an awakening that's going to bring about a revival in the United States of America. I believe that was a significant word. I really do. In uh, October, I believe it was, of, uh, it was either late September or early uh, October of, of the year 2000. That was the year we thought the world was going to end. Do you remember that? I got on a, a flight to Dayton, Ohio, from San Antonio to Dayton, Ohio. I was going there to, to minister at a church, and I was a Bible college student at that time. And I took along with me for reading one of my textbooks, and it was about the, the revival movements and uh, Pentecostal history. And I was reading in that textbook, and, and the first two chapters of the textbook about now North American revival movements, the first two chapters in that book were about the Welsh Revival about the Welsh Revival. I had never at that point heard of the Welsh Revival. And I was, I was just drawn in and captivated by what, re- reading these two chapters on the Welsh Revival. We had a, a large library there at International Bible College in San Antonio. And when I got back home, I went in there and got my hands on every book I could find that, that talked about the Welsh Revival. And I began to study that. That's, this is in October of 2000. Little, little did I know that in January of 2001, just a, about three months later, a little lady from Wales would arrive in the United States of America and trap me. <laughs> Rachel moved here in January of 2001. We began to date in April of uh, 2000 on a, on a Friday. I met her father that week, 
He interrogated me. He asked what my intentions with his daughter were. And I told him I intended to marry her after two days of dating at this point. We were engaged a few weeks later. She went back to Wells for the summer, and we got married that December. See, when God's moving, you better move with him real quick. Don't miss it. My father-in-law came to the chapel that week after our first date and after interrogating me. And I've heard my father-in-law preach many, many times now. But he, he stood up in the chapel at International Bible College. And, and, and before I, I say what he said, let me, let, me frame, let me give you some context. The Welsh Revival, how many of you are familiar with the Welsh Revival? 1904 and 1905, about an 18-month period. And... The numbers on salvation, conversion, they vary anywhere from 1,000 to 100,000, I'm sorry, to 300,000 believed to come to faith in 18 months in a nation of 3 million people. Incredible. I, I always believe that the, the reports of 100,000 people were probably the news reporter, and the 300,000 people were the evangelists. That was the evangelist being very evangelistic. 100,000 to 300,000 people coming to faith in 18 months. A nation turned upside down. How many of you have heard of Azusa? We wouldn't have Azusa if it weren't for Wales. Men from the United States began to hear about the revival that was going on in Wales. They began to go there to see what was going on, and they came back in pockets of revival, Topeka, Kansas, Houston, different places, begin to break out, and then the, the, the big famous revival, the Azusa Street Revival, which is, which is uh, where, where, really honestly, the 20th century Pentecostal movement was birthed. I, I, I saw a post yesterday from a Pentecostal preacher, an erroneous post, saying that God was going to send the Pentecostals to Asbury, a historically Methodist university, to straighten the Methodists out. It's foolish. When, when we studied Pentecostalism in Bible college, you know what we studied first? Methodism. Because Methodism, all of Pentecostalism, have, what we know in America today as Pentecostalism, all of that has its roots in the Methodist movement. If it weren't for the Methodists, we wouldn't know Pentecost the way we know Pentecost today in the United States of America. That's, that's a reality. So the Welsh Revival was absolutely amazing. Men from America came there. Men, uh, there was a guy named A.B. Simpson, I think it was, that, that went from, from Wales uh, to, to Norway. He became the, the father of Pentecostalism in, in Europe. Revival spread all over the globe as a result of what happened in, in Wales. I'm, I'm, I'm going, there's a reason I'm, I'm telling this story. Revival broke out all over the planet because of what happened in Wales. My father-in-law in April of 2001, first time I've ever heard this man speak. He gets up in the chapel. The first thing I ever hear him declare over the pulpit, he said, my name is David Glaive, and I'm from Wales. And when people think of Wales, they think of revival. But the reality is that's our long past history. And today, Wales is a very dark place in need of Revival. This is less than a century after a great percentage 
at least 100,000 people in 18 months coming to faith. And less than 100 years later, the impact of that is gone. I've been to Wells a few times. I've driven by the chapels. I had a chance actually to go to Moriah Chapel, which is where Evan Roberts was at when the Welsh Revival began to, to break out. But I've also been by other chapels that today are restaurants, apartments, businesses, pet store. I went by one that was a pet food store. Those are the buildings that used to hold revival. Those are the buildings that held the move of God, and today they're closed and used for other purposes. What's the point of that? What's the point of that? My point is this, and let me say before I say, I don't want what I'm about to say to sound at all critical of Asbury. Asbury has my 100% full endorsement. I'm excited about what is going on at Asbury. I, I began to study, after, after hearing my father-in-law's words, I began to study the Welsh Revival for 20, uh, what, 22 years now. I've been studying the Welsh Revival, and I've been asking him this question. Why did it not perpetuate? Why did what happened in that revival in Wales wane, fade, dissipate? Why isn't there long-lasting residual results there in Wales from that revival? Most young people today in Wales don't want anything to do with God. Their hearts are hard towards God. Most of them today are battling alcohol. Most teenagers today smoke in, in Wales. The, uh, drug addiction and suicide rates are through the roof amongst young people in Wales. They are in a land in desperate need of revival. Why, why isn't there a longer lasting effect from what, what happened there? And so I, I just wanna make quickly just a, a few remarks because I, I, and I wanna say this, I believe what God is doing at Asbury is, this is a sovereign move of God. It's significant. It's going to provoke all of us older folks. I have to lump myself, I, I wish I could still consider myself young, I'm getting old. It's going to provoke all of us older folks to hunger and thirst after God. And I thank God for it. But I, I really do. I think we have to position ourselves. The results, when there's a genuine move of God, there's a genuine revival, when there's an awakening in a nation, the results, salvation. We're seeing that. I, I've watched through video, through... The, the social media, men giving, coming, standing on that pulpit there in Asbury, repenting of their sins and coming to Christ. Salvation, it's an indication. Sanctification and renewal, that's happening. Restoration. One of the marks, when, when God's truly moving in what we would term a revival or an awakening, there's restoration in relationships that have been broken, in marriages, in church relationships. And we need this, we need this desperately. Signs and wonders. I've seen with my eyes on the campus of Asbury this week healings, physical healings of bodies. Demon possession, a demon cast out of a woman. That stuff is very real. Stuff is very real. We, we, we saw it in a very powerful way. And I, and I really appreciate the way that, that the believers, the leadership there at Asbury handled that situation. Beautiful. Beautiful. But the, these are, these are the, the things that accompany revival. Salvation, right? Restoration. Restoration of relationship. Renewal. Sanctification. Signs and wonders. What, what does it take? I, I want to say this. 
what happens at Asbury can happen here. I want to say it will happen here. I've had dreams where this building is full over and over again, and people are standing out in the parking lot trying to get in. What, what, what's keeping what happens at Asbury from happening here? It's hunger. It's hunger. And the key element for, that you, you go through, I have studied revival and the revival movements, these great moves of God, these sovereign moves of God on the planet. Every single one of them, without fail, every single one of them, start with the word repent. There's repentance. There's a turning to God. Turning away from the world, turning away from self, and a turning to God. And every single one of these movements, that's the way they all begin. Jesus' ministry started with the words, what? Repent. John's ministry started with the words, repent. The prophets of the Bible call people to what? Repent. To turn from the world, to turn from sin, to turn from self to the living God. Repentance. They all start with that. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this, there, there was a lady, her name was Violet Kitely. She's, she's gone on to be with the Lord. She was an old lady when I met her, very old, up until her late 80s. And um, th- this woman was used mightily of God back in the 1940s, the, the latter-day, latter-day reign, the charismatic renewal. Her and her husband were key leaders in that. Her son would be a, become a pastor. They, they actually moved to Oakland during the riots, and they started a church there. That church grew to thousands their son pastored, their grandson today pastors it. Violet Kitely and David, her son, they, they, we were having a conversation, and th- this is what Violet said. She said this. She said, the charismatic renewal was the only outpouring or revival that we know of that, that did not change and transform the culture in which it took place. When these sovereign moves of God happen, it, 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 it's, you, you study this. There, there is an impact that it has on the society. The society is transformed. I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Of that. The, the Welsh Revival. I went to the Welsh Coal Miners Museum. And in the museum, there's a plaque commemorating the Welsh Coal Miners, uh, or I'm sorry, the Welsh Revival. And it, it says in there that they had to shut the mines down for six weeks to retrain their horses because the men in that nation fell under such conviction they wouldn't use the cuss words that they were using to train their horses anymore. One cuss word meant turn left, right. It was another cuss word, one to drive the horse, and a different cuss word to stop the horses. That's how vulgar they were, and they were so convicted they wouldn't use the language anymore, and so they had to shut the coal mines down for six weeks. It's a fact in the, the, the coal miners' museum. They shut the coal mine down for six weeks to retrain the horses. See, that, that's what a sovereign move of God in a culture does. It changes and transforms the culture. It leaves its mark on the culture. The Hebrides Islands with G. Campbell Morgan, they, they shut, bars went out of business because they couldn't make enough money anymore because of the sovereign move of God in the, in the Hebrides Islands off of Scotland. Revival begins with repentance. I, I, I've got just two, only two scriptures I want to share with you. This is one, Acts 3.19. It says, repent therefore and be con- converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the end of times, 
until, I'm sorry, the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. You see it right there. Repentance brings what? Refreshing. That's what we're seeing at the campus of Asbury. That's what we're seeing at, at Campbellsville, at universities, at, at Samson, and these different uh, universities where revival is, there's a refreshing coming to that, those student bodies. Life. Repentance brings refreshing to us. Revival starts with repentance. It's, it's marked, and, and, and that, number one is repentance. Number two, it's marked by praise and worship. What's going on at Asbury? I mean, they're, for hours, they're worshiping. They're worshiping. It's the closest thing I've seen to what I've read about in the Welsh Revival. There was no song leader in the Welsh Revival. And they would sing for hours and literally days. This went on for 18 months in Wales. There was no song leader. They would sing a song, it would die off, and then somebody in the back would start another song, and the whole group gathered would lift their voices and worship God. And this went on for days, months, without a song leader. Absolutely amazing. It's, it's the, the mark of this type of renewal and revival. Prayer and fasting, it does not happen without prayer and fasting. There's a reason that we've been talking to you about that. I believe God has put that on my heart, on our, the hearts of our, our, our leadership here. Prayer has to be at the core of everything that we do. I, I want to say this to us as a church. We need more prayer meetings. We need more prayer meetings. We, meet, we need more church services. We need more outreach. We need a lot of it. But here's the thing, I, I'm not going to wear myself out, I'm not going to wear our worship leaders out, I'm not going to lead the, the, the few folks that are leading prayer times out, you know what we need, we need all of us to rise up. It, let, me, let, me, let me go back and say what I said a minute ago, what, what's the difference in Asbury and here? Hunger. We, we can have 24-7 prayer here at the church. How hungry are you for it? Are you hungry enough to skip? Are you hungry enough for that to skip some meals? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Skip some Netflix binges to come up to the church and pray. If you if you want to get up here and pray at any time, let me know. I will find a way to give you access to get into this sanctuary or the chapel or wherever you want to go into this building and pray. But we need it. We need it. Secondly is the, prayer, the, the proclamation of the word. The proclamation of the word. This is vital. And, and, and it, one of the things that I found in, in studying the Welsh Revival, this is one reason there wasn't a perpetuation through generations of what happened in, there in Wales. Lack of preaching of God's word. Lack of discipleship. What's going on at As Asbury is great. The people that are coming there and being impacted by this, the people that are encountering God, we've got to get our hands on them and we've got to disciple them, right? It's beautiful when we gather, like Asbury or Pensacola, and I, I, I actually saw that, I think last night, they were gathering, thousands gathered at Brownsville, um, where the Brownsville Revival happened in Pensacola, Florida. It's great when we gather like that, but I want, and gathering's important, gathering's in, is vital, but we need to remember that the great command is actually to go, right? We gather together. God, God does a work in us when we gather in these corporate environments, and we are to go to the nations 
and preach the gospel, make disciples. That, that's an important part. Discipleship and church planning. Discipleship and church planning. Uh, the second passage that I want to read to you, and I'm, I'm almost done, and I want to introduce you to some friends. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And, and that just reminds me, next Sunday, that tank's going to be full of water, and we're going to be baptizing folks. If you need to get baptized, let us know. Reach out to, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to the office. Let us know. We want to baptize you next week. We're going to do that. So this is the instruction Jesus gives us. Go to the nations. Make disciples. Baptize them. Right? And, and, and the other versions of this, lay hands on the sick, they're going to recover, cast out devils. Right? That's the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do. This, this revival is starting at Asbury University. Let, let, I, I just want to tell you this story, and then I'm going to introduce my friends. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Francis Asbury. What do we know about Francis Asbury? That, that's who Asbury University is named after, Francis Asbury. He was a friend of John Wesley, the father of the Methodist movement. He, he was basically the missionary sent to the United States in the Methodist movement. They say that Francis Asbury rode horseback over one quarter of a million miles in the United States of America, preaching the gospel and planting churches. It's absolutely amazing. He died at 70. Most of Wesley's men died in their 30s. They, they, they were circuit riders. How many of you have heard of those circuit rider preachers? They were circuit riders. Most of them were dead before 30 because of the wild beasts that they had encountered, riding these horsebacks across dangerous places. Weather, disease, and beast. Wesley wrote, wrote to Asbury, and he said, it's, it's vital that we go to the wilderness as men are expanding to these regions we must go without fear of beast, devil, disease, or any man. We must go and declare the gospel of Jesus. In Francis, we have Methodist churches, and there's things going on there. We're not even getting into that right now. But what happened in America through the Methodist churches is a result of this man, Francis Asbury, who gave his life for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's my summary of everything that I've just said. I'm thrilled with what's going on out there. It's an awakening that's going to shape our nation. It's going to stir the church. It's going to awaken us. And we are going to see a revival in this nation. One caution. Don't think that all of the political adversaries and all the demonic things that are, that are happening in our nation are going to go away because there's revival or awakening in the church. No, we, we need to buck up. Because those guys are not going to go hide in a closet just because we're having prayer meetings. The devil's come down with great rage, great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. I believe that we are right in that, and the enemy is going to fight what God wants to do with everything that's in him. So what do we need to do? We need to contend. We need to contend for what God is doing in our nation today. That, that's why I'm taking time. to. I don't care how late we go today. 
When, when, when my friends are done addressing us, we're going to bring the worship team up here, and we're going to stay in this building, and we're going to minister. Every, every soul that wants to stay, we're going to stay and pray and worship as long as you want because we're going to contend for what God's doing in this nation. Again, if, if you need to leave, that, that, that's fine. When, it's, when, when you have to go, that's fine, but stick around. You don't want to miss what I believe God is doing in here today. Let, let me admonish you. Pray for these young people. My favorite thing about what is going on at Adsbury is the leadership is guarding this as a youth movement. They're specifically at certain points kicking old people out and saying all of you college-age students gather in here and worship because they recognize the desperate need of God in this generation. And I, I appreciate that. So let's pray. Let's pray that these young people would be so impacted by the encounter that they're having with God that they would provoke us old fogies. <laughs> Two things are going to happen. I mean, look at the news. Train derailments and UFOs being shot out of the sky and all kinds of wacky nonsense. And it's going to get wilder and wilder and wilder. You thought Corona was crazy? You ain't seen nothing yet. This world's going to get crazier and darker, and the church is going to get more brighter and more glorious, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. I have a couple of friends. First, I'm going to bring up Ken Allen. He's a friend of mine. He lives in Dallas, Texas. He's South African. And, uh, but he lives in, in, in Dallas, Texas. He teaches at a, at a school there, but he also runs uh, missions programs, church planting, been doing this for a while. Some of y'all remember Nathan Thompson. He served with Nathan in Mexico for a season um, there, and he is focused, uh, it, it, working in Europe, different areas, but Spain, and they're reaching, uh, focused on reaching areas where there are high populations of Muslims and doing a great work. So I've invited Ken to come just for a few moments and share with us what God, share a little bit about himself and a little bit of what God has on his heart for us as a church, maybe build a little bit on what I've just shared with you. Come on up, Brother Ken. <laughs> Microphone. Here you oh, go. sorry. <laughs> I don't have a loud voice, so it's good. Um, before we start, before I say anything more, I was just thinking about what Chad had to say, and I, I'm always moved by this idea that um, you know God is doing great things, but we also have to think about what often happens is the enemy precursors, he tries to derail our ideas of what God is doing, uh, and so we get distracted, right? It's a, it's, it's, I guess it's his profession. He's distracting, and he's trying to get us away from the thinking of what God is doing. And I, I thought about that as you were sharing that. And I thought, man, you know, uh, yeah, the devil's getting worked up, which is okay. You know, let him get worked up, because greater is he that is in me. He is in the world, right? We have a, we have a living God inside of us, and he's, and he's taking care of us, and he's protecting us. But also, it doesn't mean that we may not, doesn't mean we're going to get uh, an easy ride either, <laughs> You know, this is the, just read uh, Paul's life. It was a, it was a little difficult, um, to say the least. And I think that we have, as as believers, and as we've been called to the nations or called to our next door neighbor. I, I said this to Chad. I said, you know, the reality is, I don't know if 
uh, we're off the field until we die. The, the earth is the field, right? And, you know, for my wife and I, we've been doing this for a while. I, I grew up in South Africa, uh, and, I'm, and, and uh, I, I got saved, in, radically saved in South Africa. I, I, my biology teacher is the one who drew me in. And uh, it was crazy. She said, oh, you must go and uh, come with us. I'm not even a Christian. She goes, come with us to a Christian leadership camp. I said, you're crazy. But then I realized, wait, hold on a second. This is a good opportunity to get out because I, my dad had grounded me for a month because I got an earring, you see. And, uh, you know, back in the day, boys with earrings in the left ear especially was not always good. And so uh, I, th- I said, oh, I'm going to do this. But also I was a drunk, so it was, it was another problem. And I just needed to get out to go buy some booze. And uh, you know how we are as non-Christian people. And so I was like, really, God, just do something. And God radically gets a hold of me because this biology teacher gets a vision for an unsaved boy who's just wild. Right? I, I, had a, a just, I said, you, buy the, you pay for it. You call my dad. You get permission. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I got saved. She, I had a dream. God changes my life. I, you know, he touches me in this, on this dirt road. And from then on, I had this really crazy passion to reach the world. In fact, the dream was is that I was on a dirt road and I walked by a man. He touches me. I can't speak English. I speak in other languages. And the dream was at the end was a, was a lifesaver's shack. And uh, when I got saved, it was at that dream. It was like a real deal. It was right there. I knew it. And I said, God, if you're real, come into my life. And I got filled with the Spirit speaking in tongues, which is weird because I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand what was going on. My biology teacher had to explain it to me. And I was like, man, this is crazy stuff. I didn't understand all of this. But, you know, sometimes when God moves on your life, you don't understand it. And sometimes you don't have to. But later on, you need the older people to give the wisdom, the balance to what's going on in our lives. We need you, the, the people that are older. We need you. I need, I'm, I'm old, so I get to say we, we need that, right? Um, because the young people have passion, and we have the wisdom. And the kingdom of God is created in a way that, that he uses all. And I was so grateful that I had an older person to speak into my life and bring balance to this, to this crazy thing that was happening. Our church was having all kinds of stuff, and I got saved through that. We were just uh, joking. I say, you sneeze, and somebody got healed. You know, it was just insane. It was like, you know, going to a buffet. And he like said, man, a meat buffet, because, you know, salad buffets are sort of boring. Uh, meat buffets, right? Uh, and the Bible says you won't get meat, so I want steak. Um, so the thing is that you think about that, and you're going through all of this, and you're going, yeah, and I got saved. And I was like, God's called me to the nations. And, and then I go, I go to Bible college, and I meet this really lovely lady, uh, you know, brid- is it bridal college? Is that what they say now? Yeah, I found my wife there. She's a, she's a Californian. I was very excited about getting a California girl. Uh, it was very, it was awesome. I mean, you know, Welsh is great too, but California girls, it's a different story. I loved her. I was like so excited. And then we said, we're going to build our life together. We started traveling the world and sharing the gospel. And uh, we, we helped plant churches and we helped uh, start mission agencies in Mexico um, and then God called us back to the United States, and I worked in Destiny Church for a bit, another church, pastoring and still continuing. And as we began to start seeing God moving through our lives, we began to start seeing that God's calling us not only to plant churches, but to build 
build leaders and encourage them. But the methodology of leading and building leaders was interesting because I thought it was going to be me standing in a seminar perspective, standing in front of people, because, you know, that's what you do when you're young. You don't have wisdom. You just want to be seen. And so you stand there, and you're going to say something. But I realized something. That was not the power of, of, of training leaders and building churches. It was sitting around drinking coffee together, sharing our lives together. And that's what Monica and I, my wife and I, have been doing for years now, is just that. Every church I've planted has been over a cup of coffee. Because relationship is the commodity of the kingdom. You cannot move in the kingdom without relationship. I'm not very good at math. Um, I got a t-shirt. My, my boss at work gave me a t-shirt because I passed the math test. It was really fun. Uh, it says five out of four people are great at math. And that's my shirt. But this is, a good, this is good math. This is, this is biblical math. And it says relationship equals time plus effort. If you want to see the kingdom of God move in people's lives and how we do it all the time, you've got to give them time and effort. Because nowhere in the scripture does it talk about where all of a sudden everybody gets healed and then they go on their merry way and nothing happens. God didn't call us to be Christian makers. He called us to make disciples, right? And discipleship is relationship and relationship takes time and effort. And so that's what we do, and we're constantly doing that. And even though I'm, uh, uh, my sacred job is both ministry and working in a school, I work in Title I schools. I work with kids and parents who desperately need to see Jesus, and they don't get to see it at church. And this is the thing about what I think about constantly when I've, I've, be, I've, I've experienced these revivals that go on, and, and I think about that, and we, were, we had a lot of chatting about this yesterday particularly. I love that God does these things. And we, we were talking about revival, and I, I sat down and I began to look at the definition of the word revival. And then I looked at the definition because I also believe God wants to habitate with us. We've got to pray for a habitation, that God is with us. And I began to think about all of these ideas of what God is calling us to do. We've, got to, we've traveled and we've worked in Spain and North Africa and reaching Muslims Man, they're a tough group of people, but boy, when they see a real Christian, they're drawn to you. There's something about that. There's something about spending time with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to speak through you in a gentle way, sometimes not so gentle. There's something about living in God's kingdom and being able to express His love in a very powerful way. And uh, so we've done this with Muslims, and we've done this with Spaniards. They told us Spain is the graveyard of missionaries. I said, well, I'm resurrecting the dead because I'm going. And you can't believe how many people came to Christ because the, everybody wanted to preach at them, and nobody wanted to sit and have coffee with them. Again, how are we going to continue? We talked about revival. How are we going to continue this? Relationship. We've got to see the balance in all of this. We've done uh, leadership training in, in Cuba. Thousands of, of, of leaders getting to, uh, you know, sit and listen to us. I, I didn't get, I, I think they got something from us. But honestly, I got more out of that from, from them than I got giving it to them. 
The reality was is that we would sit down after all of these times that we were, were teaching them, and we drank coffee together, and we ate together, we laughed together, we cried together. I got more out of it. This, these people that were suffering had joy. When you looked at the faces, they all looked different. They were uh, Spanish-looking people. They were African-looking people. They were uh, Asian-looking people. Everybody looked different, but yet unity was seen. Another residual of what we would call revival is unity. We've got to come together. I love the fact that God's sense of humor is, is that he, he uses Methodists to start, a, to start the Pentecostal movement. I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, we're always, we're always assuming that they're dry and, you know, we're not. Wow, God is funny. Because he's, he doesn't see us as denominations and separate people. He sees us as his people. And he loves us. He didn't just die for, you know, Presbyterian. He died for all of us. That's the power of the gospel, isn't it? It's so awesome. And this is the thing that I think about as I'm thinking about what we've done in our, over the years and as we bring the balance between, uh, you know, the, the passion of young people and the wisdom of the old. And so I'm thinking about as you guys are hungry for, for more of God, you know, I, I made, a, I made a little note here. I don't, I don't want to mess up what I thought about here. It's this very fancy note-taking over here. Um, I said, uh, allow the wisdom of the older to balance the enthusiasm of the young. And I think that as, we, as, uh, as I've gotten older and began to work with other leaders and people in the, in, in, in the communities that we've worked with, we've seen God do some great things. And I, I know I don't want to take too much time because, uh, you know, I thought I was, doing, I was going to do like five-hour seminar, but I, I just realized that seminars don't do it. We should have coffee instead. Uh, I had coffee with two wonderful people this morning. It was amazing, actually. I think I learned so much about them, and they, they blessed me. You know, I think it was so awesome. Uh, and I'll do this fast. Revival, definition. And I, and I have to change my thinking now. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. What God is doing, I think, is improving the condition of the church. Because we've got to be relevant. If you're not relevant to every nation, then you're not relevant. If it's only good for white people, it's not good. If it's only good for black people, it's not good. It has to be the kingdom. It's got, God came to the world, right? So we we've got to impact our society. Habitation is the state or process of living in a particular place. I want God to live in this particular place. I want God to be there. I know you do too. Because when you got that, then the, because the purpose of this, this whole thing is, is to go. It's not to stay, it's to go. I get, I get refreshed. I get, I, get, um, I get to a place where I'm strengthened, my improvement of my condition. We have, you know, we have a condition that's called sin. 
uh, it's called uh, separation from God, but we have another beautiful condition, and that is I'm loved and I'm seen by God. And so the purpose of it is changing lives so that God can br- so we can bring Christ to those around us. It has to be a this is why my wife and I live purposefully in sharing the gospel in multiple nations. On at this point it's been three continents. We're going to push for four pretty soon. You've got to bring Christ to bring to 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 the people. That you've been chosen. This is the funny thing is, and this is the wonderful thing, that you are a vessel. God has chosen you. He didn't choose anything else, right? He chose you to carry the gospel. Sometimes he steps in and he does it his way, uh, like by himself. But most of the time, his way is you. The book of Acts gives us a big picture of why we do what we do. The reason for revival. Yeah, we're going to get persecution. Don't, don't get me wrong. You're going to get hit. But that's okay. Count of pure joy. Say, thank you, Lord. Paul got roughed up, right? I hope you don't get roughed up. But if you do, that's okay. For the right reason, guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't want to get roughed up for the wrong reason. But it also continues the kingdom. Uh, and God reminds us that he knows, he knows us and he sees us. And when you go and share the gospel with somebody... And I've done this many times before. I go to the Pizza Hut, which I don't do Pizza Hut much anymore. But when I do, I did one time, and I went in and I said, you know, I was about to pay for the pizza. My wife wanted uh, boneless chicken wings. I didn't know chickens had no bones, but, you know. I mean, it happens, I guess. You know, this is sort of what it is. And so I'm like, wow, boneless chickens, because, you know, this is America. You can do these things. It's a miraculous country. And so I, I miraculously went there, and they miraculously had it. And so I, I, was, I was about to pay, and all of a sudden I stop. I look at the girl, and the Lord speaks to me. Boom. I said, Where, why are you here? She goes, what do you mean, why am I here? I said, why aren't you with your baby who's sick? Something about the heart. What's going on with the heart? She, the girl starts weeping. She's crying. Why are you crying? My baby's in the hospital. He's going to have open-heart surgery in the afternoon. But we couldn't find anybody to cover for me. Wow, you know. I said, you listen to me. God knows you. He sees you. And we're going to trust that that, that that goes well. And I heard it went well. But, you know, sometimes God just wants to say, I see you. But how's the, how do people know that? Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You are his fruit. Let's carry the word of God. Just carry the life. So when you have a revival, right? When you have this move of the habitation of the Holy Spirit in you, what's the purpose? Don't leave it up to people like us that are either full-time professionals. Professionals, right? Uh, The the five-fold ministry is to equip you guys to do the job. God's given you authority. He gave it to you. The same Jesus in you is the same one in me, vice versa, Holy Spirit. He's called you to do something. And that's what God called us to do. I've seen lots of people being prayed for, healed, uh, being set free from demons. One, one, at least once in my life, I prayed for somebody. They were dead. They came alive. I'll tell you a story one time. 
another time. But the, the, the picture is this. It's not because of Ken Allen. It was because of Jesus Christ in me, and I recognized that they, need, they had a need, and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to step up, but I just happen to be available. Are you available? Are you ready? This is the thing. I don't stop working for the kingdom. The only time I stop is when I'm dead. Right? And finally, I'm going to leave you with this thought that that they overcame the devil by the word of their testimony, not loving their lives. Sorry, word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, not loving their lives to the death. You have a testimony. What's God done for you? Have a cup of coffee with somebody and tell them. Tell them about Jesus, what he's done for us. He died for us. His blood. What a powerful thing. It's overcome. We have so much power in our lives because of the blood. And not loving our lives to the death. I'm not afraid to die. I've had a Muslim try and climb over a table and murder me in, the, in a coffee shop in Spain at about 2 or 3 in the morning. I told him, shut up, sit down. I said, you're the worst Muslim I've ever seen. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you're drunk. I've read the Hadith. I've read the, I've read the Quran. You're drunk. His friend said, yeah, yeah, he's right. But he wanted to kill me. I was like, dude, you can't do that. I'm not ready. God's not ready for me yet. You know? You know, it's not going to happen. Many times I've experienced this. But the key is, guys, wherever God's at in your life, we pray that God begins to stir you up. But even if you don't have those feelings, you don't have to have feelings to work for God, right? You've got to make a decision. It's a step forward and say, I'm going to be used by God regardless. Because what if? Just what if? Something amazing happens at the process, which I'm, pro- I'm almost sure he will, right? So leaving you with this thought. God sees you. God knows you. And he really has a plan for you, whether it's to travel the world or travel down the street. Take a moment and share his life with somebody. It'll change your life. But if we want to see God do great things in the world, we also have to see God here and in your quiet place with him. And let's see what God gets to do. And I I love the fact that we've got... A wonderful man. I, I've, I've known Chad for a while. He's a solid guy. I've known his wife. Wonderful people. And what a blessing it is to be able to serve God together with wonderful people. And I've met a couple more wonderful people as well. And I bet you the God, the, the, the God of the universe, as he begins to attract people here because of the beauty of who he is in you. Because for God so loved the world, God is love. He loves to be loved, and he loves to love. You are created in his image and his likeness, so you love to love and love to be loved. So why don't you go and do what you've been called to do? Go love some people and enjoy being loved back. That's the kingdom, right? So the kingdom of God, the commodity of the kingdom is relationship. Good math, relationship equals time plus effort. So uh, I want to thank you for just letting me take a, a minute or two just to, to give, me some, give you some thoughts about revival and what that looks like and what, what's the purpose of it. And the purpose is simple. Bring some, some life into you, revive you, get, you, get, you, get some strength, 
Let's go out there and bring, the, bring, bring Christ to the nations. Your back door to the world. So thanks, Chad. I appreciate it. And I hope that, uh, I hope that blesses you. But remember, God is really interested in you. And let him be interested to others as well. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule and coming up, spending a few days with me. It means a lot to me. It really does. And um, I, was, I, I left my house yesterday, headed to pick Ken up from the airport. I stopped by the Manakees. He stayed at the Manakees. He's staying there this weekend. So I stopped by with some snacks to put in his room. And when I got back to my car, I realized that I was a couple, hour, a couple of hours early. I, I read your departure time and thought it was your arrival time. He was leaving Dallas at 10.30. I thought you were arriving at 10.30. So I was on the way to the airport at 10.30. And uh, since I was early and alone, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and I'm going to, I just came right here, right in the front here, and spent a couple of hours praying. And during that time, I flipped, flipped my phone open and I saw this young lady, Peggy Nunley, she was at Asbury, and I thought, you know what, if she's that close, I need to try to get her to Clarksville to, to return. Um, I met Peggy a couple of years ago through uh, Dr. Don Crabtree. So uh, some of you know Dr. Crabtree, his daughter, uh, Don and Amy's daughter, uh, Adriana, works with Peggy. Uh, this is an organization that's called All Star Missions, and they're doing incredible work. Uh, Peggy's married to, to a gentleman named uh, Joel Nunley. He is a, a medical doctor. Uh, they reside in, in Tulsa. She's got three of her, you have four kids, don't you, Peggy? So three, three of the four, and also her, her mom and stepdad are here. Grateful that they're here. So JJ, Grace, and Ben are with her, her kids. Um, we, we invited uh, this past year Peggy to speak uh, at our, our IMA National Conference in our mission segment. And uh, just, just with the idea, we, we, we as an organization, we're realizing that our missionaries are getting old. And I mean that in the kindest way. Love them all, love them all. But if we don't raise up another generation, we're done. And we realize that. And so we, we brought Peggy in with that idea to speak to, to our, our ministers. And um, she and her son, Ben, actually both spoke. He's, you're, you're 14, Ben? 14 years old. Both of them spoke at our, our national conference last year in September, and, and honestly, we had, we had quite a few speakers, quite a few things going on during that, that week. Peggy and Ben and their time was the most impactful moment in our conference. It, it was amazing. They're doing incredible work. Uh, her, her and her husband and their team, they just got back from Lebanon, a medical mission to Lebanon, and, and uh, getting ready this week on Tuesday to leave for Las Vegas with a team of young people. They, they take young people into nations and into inner city environments, and they use them in ministry in cities and villages, you name it. They're raising up a generation of young missionaries, and I love what they do. So I want you guys to welcome uh, Peggy, and Ben, ben is going to come and share as well, and just to welcome them as they come. All right, well, thank you all. I know I have my Bible up here, so don't get scared. I'm not going to... <laughs> preach another message to you, um, but but I, I do want to share a little bit because I think the the word that that Pastor Chad shared 
um, just right after worship is, you know, the word that's kind of been on my heart uh, going into Asbury. So I, I wasn't, we weren't planning to go to Asbury. Um, I guess a lot of people weren't planning to go to Asbury, right? And, and just the, I had just a, a window of opportunity. And so we jumped in our car on Friday and drove for 13 hours and came and Ben and I actually got in line at about 8 o'clock at night and stood in line until 11 to get into Hughes Auditorium. And, and the, the thing that I was asking myself as this was happening is like, God, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? Because we, I work with young people. My son, Ben, here, he's going to share just, I know it's awkward standing here. Sorry, but um, he, he's going to share a little bit of his experience at Asbury. But, but what, I, what I sense God doing is God is provoking us. He's provoking the church. He's provoking a generation. He's provoking you and me to really begin to look at him. And he is declaring that he is who he says he is. He will move where he wants to move. He'll do what he wants to do. And, and it won't look anything like we try to structure it in our meetings. Now, when you travel international like our brother over here, which I wish I could say awesome the way that you say it. I, just when you set it up here, you know, I'm, I was born in Kentucky, raised here in southern Indiana, and so I got the awesome, you know. But you, you have like this majestic, I think your awesome will be in heaven that way. But, but, but this provoking that's happening this movement, what I have seen in the underground church, you know what happens with mass persecution? There's a provoking of the church. And they are provoked in such a way that they can't go back to what they used to know. You know, as I've sat with underground believers and I've asked them, would you ever go back? And I remember sitting in Egypt in an underground meeting and, and having this, this, this man look at me and his front teeth were out. He had just come from jail. He had been beaten. He still was black and blue. And, and he was sharing about how he had converted out of Islam from the Islamic Brotherhood in, into a relationship with Jesus. And I looked at him and just in all, like, just, just realness, I said, do you regret it? I mean, he's wounded, he's bruised, he's lost his wife, he's lost his children, he's lost everything. And he looks at me, and he smiles, and you see the teeth that had just been knocked out, and he said, I can never go back. What I have in Jesus is worth more than anything I've given up. And you know what's happening at Asbury? There is a provoking over a generation that, that my son and my children represent. A generation that is the most fatherless generation to walk the planet. A generation that is abandoning the church because they are really tired of all the rules and the regulation and the religion. And they're saying, listen, either you become real and you show me what's written in this book, right? Or we don't want anything to do with it. Because we can, we can get on social media and we can pretend to be anything we want. We can put a filter up and we can tell the world we are whatever we want them to believe. But the reality is we are dying inside. And this generation has more mental illness. This generation struggles with anxiety and depression and suicide. And they have abandoned the church because there is no power in the church. 
And so they go to the church. I've talked with young person after young person. I've prayed prayers. I've done this. I've done everything you've said, but I'm still addicted to porn and I can't be free. You know, I look at this because you've not had an encounter with the same God that I've had an encounter with. Listen, I know what you've done when you were young. I know you were raised in church. I know that, that, that you visited places and they gave you a bunch of things to do. But listen, there is power and demonstration with this gospel. And if you will taste and see who he is, it will provoke you to give up everything and follow him. So I'm going to let Ben share real quick about what he experienced at Asbury. And then I just, I just have a few words. And then I think we're going to have a time of just invitation. And I would love the opportunity to pray for you. But there's others in here that God has stirred. And, and you need to be laying hands. And I want the young people that are in this house, I want you to come forward during the invitation time. I want to pray for you. But I want my son to pray for you. I want him to pray that you would be provoked into the mission, into the destiny God has for you. And you moms and dads, listen, you need to come. You grandparents, you need to come. And let me tell you why. Because you need to be provoked to rise up and be. The, the generation that stewards this generation well. Some of you, like me, need to repent and say, dear Jesus, forgive me for the places where I didn't see. I didn't see what I was withholding from a generation. Because you have allowed the things in your indoctrination and religion and you have tried to keep the rules and as well as this generation knows it, you know it. Religion doesn't work. It will not set you free any more than it will set them free. And some of you need to repent because you raised your children trying to get them to conform on the outside and never tending to a heart on the inside. And you, one day you're going to stand before Jesus and listen, you should have a trail of disciples behind you. Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? You older women, what young women are you mentoring in this church? Older men, what young men are you calling up to be the young men that God has called them to be? Who is declaring their destiny over them? Listen, if you are not doing that, you need to be at this altar and you need to be asking for forgiveness and you need to be saying, Jesus, listen, I know you don't know me, but I'm just telling you the truth today. You need to ask him to provoke you. Provoke you to a place where you will begin to weep for this generation. Because if this generation, right now the Barna trends, if they do not get provoked into the things of God, we, will, we are one generation away from the church disappearing. So something has to change. Okay, so Ben. I'm so sorry this was so awkward. What I want for you to do is just to share. You know, as, as we were standing yesterday, a man came around and he says, I just want to know one word. Like, what's one word that, that you would say happened here? And, and I want you to share what you saw and what God was doing in you. So, um, we were worshiping and we went to the back to take a live video um, and just show people the move of God that was happening. And this man came up to me and he said, so I've been asking people one word to describe this event, this revival that is happening here. And I looked at him, I said, hunger. And he was kind of taken aback a bit because nobody has said that yet. 
But as I look around, as I see, you know, a mile-long line, thousands of people waiting in 30-degree weather with wind blowing on them to get into this chapel that they don't even know if they can get into, what I see is hunger. I see a generation looking up to God and pleading for him to come and rescue them. I see a generation that won't give up until they get the blessing like Jacob. They're fighting and they're fighting. They don't care how they look. They'll let him touch their hip to make them walk in a different place that other people are walking in for the blessing. They want the revival. They don't care how they look, how they walk, how they talk. They don't care if they're rolling on the floor laughing or if they're just in the presence. They just want him. As thousands and thousands of people are there, they're there for one person, one thing, and they're there for God. They want him. This generation is going to come out of a place of slavery like Israel. They're going to come out of Egypt. And in Exodus 16, um, Israel had come out and they told Moses, and they were almost complaining, but they were like, we're starving. There's no food. You, did you bring us out here to let us die by starvation? And I think a lot of um, this generation is like that. They've been brought out of this place of slavery, but where is the food for them to consume? Where, where are they going to get revived? Where's the healing? Where's the deliverance? I think the American church needs to repent. When Jesus came, he came with power. He came with authority. He didn't stand off to the side with his hands in his pockets, worshiping God. No, he came with glory. He came with power. Jesus came to bring sight to the blind, to bring hearing to the deaf and life to the dead. And he wants to do that same thing here. He wants to do that in this church even. And so I just want to, I wasn't, I'm not supposed to take a lot of time, but <laughs> I just want to pray for the young people in here that they will be equipped. Just real quick, and I'm going to hand it back over. All right. So Father God, I thank you for this movement that is occurring here. Father, I just pray a renewal and a revival spirit to come into this room, God. Revive the youth of America. Revive the youth of this church, Father, that they would be equipped, that they would walk in the will and the purpose and the anointing that is over their life, and they would not back down to trial and tribulation and forces acting upon them that are not from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, let your spirit come. Let it reside. I feel your presence in here, and I believe a movement will happen and will occur in this very room today, Father, as we bow before you and surrender to your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I love you, Lord. 
I pray that what I have experienced would happen to these youth. The power that delivered me from my anger towards you, God, I pray that it enters this room, Father, that it delivers the, the youth of this nation, it delivers the youth of this church, the people that need the touch will get it today. In Jesus' name, let your spirit reside. Thank you. So I, I'm going to ask the worship team. Pastor Chad said that they were ready, but I, if you can go ahead and come, if you're on the worship team, is that okay? All right, and, and so I, I want you to go ahead and come. I'm not going to take, take much longer, but I believe that, that we need to have a time of invitation. How many of y'all can feel the presence of God in the room? Just raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Yes, he is here. He is present. You know, right before we left out to, to come to, to Asbury, my son and I went to another church in Tulsa, and um, there was a, a couple of revivalists that were there. I guess there's an outpouring happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, the John Matthews, him and his wife were there, and, and John and Carol Arnott from the Toronto Blessing were there. And we went into this room, and, and we actually went into the pre-service prayer time and I didn't know if we could I just showed up and I didn't know who all was in there and and so I asked somebody it's like is it open for anyone and they said yeah I said Ben come on let's go in there and and we went in there and they were just laying hands on one another and they were just and these were just the pastors these are pastors you know men and women of God that love him that are pouring out every day you know that are pouring out in their churches you know uh, my husband and I planted a church in southern Indiana and um, in, in Scottsburg area Area. And I want to tell you, it was, you know, I told him, I said, this is like a suicide mission. Like, like we're going in and it is hard because, because church hurt is real. Some of y'all have been wounded. Some of y'all have been wounded in the church. Some of your children, the reason they're not here is because they've been wounded in the church. Some of y'all have been involved in ministry, and there has been words spoken over you. There have been things that have said to you, or there's been people that have rejected you, or they have just spoken unkindly of you. And that pain sets in front of you. And, and I believe that often that pain that we experience in the church or outside the church is the very thing that hinders the presence of God from moving in our life. And so as I was in this room, as these pastors were just praying for one another, and they just started going down in the spirit, and then some of them started laughing. And I mean, it, it just it looked a little different. But I just thought, Jesus, you're refreshing them. You're refreshing them. It's just new wine poured out on them, new oil coming over them, new anointing, renewing them and restoring them. And, and I thought, man, that was powerful. And then we went into the room and, and worship was going on. And, and, and I mean, you could feel that the atmosphere was so Thick. The presence of God was there, and, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, they're getting up there, they're worshiping, and then the worship stops, and, and John Matthews gets up there, and he has a short little word, and, and they didn't even call up the worship team again. He just said, God's here. He's here. And if you want to receive what he has, just begin to walk forward. And all of a sudden, people started walking forward in the service. And, I mean, people just started going down under the power and the presence of God. 
It wasn't about, you know, the, the sounds behind them. It was about the presence of God in the room. And so, you know, what your pastor is saying is, how hungry are you? How hungry are you? How desperate are you for your children and your grandchildren? How long will we sit back and keep trying to do it the way we've been doing it while a generation literally heads to hell? When will we look at what's happening in our world and say, I'm not okay with it? And I'm taking personal responsibility. Me, I'm taking personal responsibility to be the change in my nation, in my culture, and in my church. I'm not looking, I'm not waiting for the pastor, I'm not waiting for the worship leaders, I'm not waiting for, you know, those that feel the calling to some vocational ministry. No, no. The Holy Spirit invaded me. And he made me a new creation. And I'm taking responsibility for every person in my life that doesn't know him. I'm taking personal responsibility for my children. And I'm telling you what, I told my kids, listen, you don't have a choice. We're getting in the car. I'm taking you out of school. And we're going where God is present. Where he's being poured out. We're going to get there as quick as we can because I want you to be marked. I want you to be marked. When I was in my early 20s, I went to Brownsville. I got marked. I got marked by the power and the presence of God, and I could never look at church the same again. And I look at this generation, and I say, they need to be marked. God, would you mark them? Would you mark them? Some of you in this room, you've never been marked. You've never been marked by a move of God in your life. Well, today, he wants to mark you. He wants to provoke you. He wants to stir you. Maybe you need to repent and say, God, I'm not hungry. God, I'm not hungry. And I, I want hunger. God, stir it in me. As I was praying this morning and I was thinking about this generation, the word that came to me was anorexia. And I thought, that's strange. And I looked it up. And anorexia literally means loss of appetite. Loss of appetite. I've, I've never looked the word up. I mean, I've heard about it, you know, growing up. And, and I've counseled people that have struggled with anorexia. But he just spoke that word into my spirit. And he said, this generation is anorexic. They have a loss of appetite because their mothers and fathers lost their appetite. But I'm giving them hunger again. And he's doing it in the middle of the fields of Kentucky. Listen, it's not the place we would choose. Well, why didn't he do it in the inner city? Or I'm from Tulsa. Come on, we got praying hands in Tulsa or Roberts University. Come on, why, why aren't you doing it in Tulsa? And he says, I'm looking for the hungry. And there were some hungry, some hungry hearts in that field. And that school, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do with this. It doesn't matter. There's no advertisement and hundreds of thousands of people are showing up. Our nation is being marked. Do you know how huge this is? How big this is? 
Do you know how long we've been praying for another Brownsville, for another Toronto, for another Wales, and all of a sudden you guys are like an hour and a half away from it, and the presence of God is being poured out. I stood in a field yesterday, and I'm worshiping, and then, I don't know, 30 minutes later, I turn around, and the field is full. Thousands have gathered, and I'm like, where did they come from? Where did they come? God, you're bringing them from the north, the south, the east, the west. You're bringing them in. And it tells me there are people in our churches that are hungry. At our hotel, I start talking to this woman. And she says, are you here for the revival? I said, I am. And she said, and I said, my son and I got into Hughes Auditorium last night. And I was just telling her about it. And, and she, says, she says, I don't know that I'll get in. She says, but I just want to be at a place where he's at and I looked at her and I said listen he's there and when you get close to the campus you're going to begin to feel him and you're going to begin to know he's present she says even if it ends before I get there I just want to be at a place where he was that's hunger that's hunger so I want to ask you to stand and there's three things that that I want to that the Lord spoke to me that I want to ask you. As Asbury right now is being marked, I want you to ask yourself, and I'm going to ask you to do something just, just to posture yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to you. I want you to open your hands like this. There's nothing magical about it. But I don't know, there's something about when we open our hands, it's just this place of vulnerability. And it says that I'm ready to receive. Holy Spirit, we're ready to receive. We want to receive what you have to say to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we want what you want. We want what you want. And God, where we don't want what you want, would you help us to want what you want? I want you to ask yourself, has he marked me? Has he marked me? You may be young and you may be the oldest person in this room. It doesn't matter. All we have is, a, is just, a, just a breath on this planet. You don't, want, you don't want to meet Jesus face to face and say, you never marked me. And him look at you and say, you never cried out for the marking. And today I want you to cry out, God, would you mark me? Would you mark me? Mark me for your presence. Mark me. God, would you stir hunger in my heart? God, would you begin to move in me? Move in me. God, would you bring healing to me today? I think one of the things we're seeing is the hunger over a generation there. But, but the second thing I see happening at Asbury is that God is healing a generation. He's healing them. Because that pain in their life has kept them from having encounters with their Father in heaven that created them in their image, His image. And that pain, you see, pain distorts our view of God. Pain distorts it. As I was there walking around and there just worship started breaking out in the field and, and I was standing and I just began worshiping with these students in this this young man, his name is Harrison. He came over to me and, and he was really tall and I'm looking up at him. 
And he, he, he touched me on my back and he said, can, can, what is your name? And I said, it's, it's Peggy. He says, can I just, you just really remind me of my mom. And I was watching you worship. I just want you to know that I was really touched by watching you worship. And I said, Harrison, how's your relationship with your mom? And tears are swelling up in his eyes. And he said, I don't have one. He said, I don't have a relationship with my mom. He said, it's, it's been really hard. And just watching you worship, just, it's like it gave me a little bit of hope. I said, Harrison, can I pray for you? Because God wants to restore your relationship with your mom. I believe that God ordered your steps here, Harrison. You're not here by accident. And you're not standing beside me in this field by accident. I said, but, but I want to pray for you and your relationship because God's heart is reconciliation. He wants to reconcile you. And, I, and, and Harrison bends over and I begin to pray with him. And I get done and I say amen and my mom was right there. And for years my mom and I didn't have a reconciled relationship. And all of a sudden my mom pushes me out of the way. And she steps up to big Harrison like this. And she's looking up at him. And she says, Harrison, I'm her mother. And for years we weren't reconciled and it was my fault. But I want to tell you something today. Don't give up hope because God wants to reconcile your relationship. Harrison just, again, he just continues to cry and, and just, and you can see his eyes were opening. You see, because pain distorts our view of God. It distorts what we believe is the heart of God. And some of you all in this room, just like in that field, you need to experience the healing touch of the Father because He wants to put His finger on that wound inside your heart, that place where you've been broken, that place where you've been betrayed, that place where you gave up believing that God wanted to reconcile or restore. And He wants to wash you in His love so that you can see him and the destiny he has over your life with his eyes again. And the last thing that I saw there at Asbury that is marking this generation was humility. I saw it in their leadership. I saw it on the students. They just kept saying, we gotta bow low here. We gotta bow low here. They kept using that term. We gotta bow low. If we want God to, to continue coming, we have to bow low. And we're just, we're just trying to steward what he's doing. We're just trying to honor him. We just have to bow low. And some of you in this room, you're supposed to be the spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith, but you have not bowed low. And religious pride and the pride of life, and the pride of your profession, and the pride of your power, or just the pride of the transgressions of your upbringing passed on to you have kept you from bowing low. And if you want to see a move of God in this place, and I believe you do, and I don't believe you're the only church in America that wants that, but there's got to be a bowing low. 
So before we pray for anyone, what I'd like to do is just open up these altars. And I think we need to do business with our Heavenly Father. We need to ask Him to mark us, to give us hunger. And if you don't have hunger, I want to ask you to come and I want you to begin to ask for it. If you need hunger, listen, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. Come. If you want hunger and you want to be stirred and you recognize I've been living an anorexic lifestyle, an anorexic Christianity, God, stir hunger in me. Stir hunger in me. Stir me, Father. Stir me. Listen, he's giving hunger right now. He's giving it to you. Listen, he doesn't give these little bitty appetizers. He doesn't tease us. No, he fills us. And it says, for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is the promise. You will be filled. Just begin to cry out. Ask him, God, give me hunger. Give me hunger. And maybe you're here and you're, you're, just, you're just like, I, I, I want the hunger, but I don't even know how to cry out for hunger because there's a place in me that aren't, isn't healed. And I know it's not healed. I can't forgive. I can't forgive the people that have hurt me, those that have done injustice against me. Listen, there is no movement with the Spirit apart from forgiveness of those that we consider our enemies. Listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, it matters. God sees. God knows. He knows the pain you've walked. When, when I say it doesn't matter, what I mean is don't let what the enemy used when you were young to destroy the purpose of God for you now as you are getting older. Don't let the past define your future. Don't let what was said to you or done to you keep you from the abundant life that is being held for you in the kingdom of God. He's wanting to release it. He's wanting to release healing. And if you need healing today, I wanna to ask you to come forward. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe there's a part of you and says, God, you've touched others, but you never touched me. He wants to touch you today. He wants to heal. Physically, I believe he wants to heal physically, but I also believe he wants to heal mental illness. He wants to heal anxiety. He wants to heal depression. He wants to heal tormenting thoughts. He wants healing. Ben, I'm gonna ask you to come, and as you see people come, if you need prayer for healing, I want you to begin to lay hands on them. I want you to begin to pray for them. If you need healing, I want you to come. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, we must forgive everyone, everything, every time. And listen, I understand a lot about unforgiveness. I battled with it for a really long time. And I've had people really speak hard things to me. My father, 
over a year ago wanted my last name off my birth certificate. What kind of father asked for your name to be off your birth certificate? The rejection that I felt was unbearable. And yet God began to release me. And when I thought that I was free and I could forgive him and I had forgiven him, my father committed suicide last November. And he wrote me a suicide letter. And in that letter, again, he rejected me. I don't know what you have walked through. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what injustice has happened to you, but whoever has hurt you, this is what you need to know today. They are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. Hurt people hurt people. That's why we must be a people of healing. We must be a people that forgive so that we can release the healing of the Father to others. We have to let go. And if you need healing today, this altar is open. Ask Him, continue to cry out, God, give me hunger. God, give me hunger. God, heal my family. God, heal my children. God, heal the legacy. The legacy that's being left behind. Heal my family name. God, would you heal my city? God, would you heal our young people? God, would you move on our high schools and our middle schools and our elementary schools? God, we're asking, Lord, would you pour out your spirit? Would you stir a hunger? God, stir it in me and stir it in my children. And Father, today, we humble ourselves before you. God, we repent. God, forgive us in the places that we have not taken the baton of faith and carried it to the next generation. God, forgive us where we have not taught our children to love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, forgive us where we have given ourselves to addictions, where we have given ourselves to the approval of man over the approval of God. Father, would you forgive us? And God, today we ask, would you humble us in your presence? We bow low, God, so that you can be lifted high. Father, do what only you can do. Jesus, we bless you in this place. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being present. Holy Spirit, move, move, move. Wash over hearts. stay here at the altar. We're going to begin praying for one another. But listen, don't exchange your crying out for somebody to lay their hand on you. Listen, you don't need my hands. 
You don't need Pastor Chad's hand to be laid on you. You don't need someone to lay their hand on you. Listen, this is whose hand you need laid on you. His. All you need is for Him to lay His hand over you. He will mark you in this moment. He will mark you in this moment.